Have I thought about running for president? What is my natural deodorant recommendation? And also, what's the best part of motherhood? We are answering all of these fascinating questions and many more on today's episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Hope everyone's having a wonderful day and week. All right, I'm gonna get into some of the questions that you guys sent me. Here's an interesting question. Is it biblical to say no to sex within marriage? Now, first, when I read this question, I thought you meant like, period, like no sex ever during marriage, which is not biblical because the two are supposed to become one flesh. And believe it or not, There are, like, I have heard of situations where even having sex has been something that has been put off during marriage or that one of the people in the marriage doesn't want to do. And I'm just telling you that that needs to be, that needs to absolutely be addressed. The marriage needs to be consummated. The two must become one flesh. That is part of what marriage is. It's a beautiful part of marriage. So I know for some people you're listening to that and you're like, there's no way that's true. Yes, I think in some cases it is. So I'm just saying that that is something that you need to go address because it is absolutely biblical to have sex within marriage. Now, can you say no to sex within marriage? If you don't want to have sex one night, is it okay to say no? Yes, I think so. Let me read you what 1 Corinthians 7 through 4 or 4 through 5 says. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So there's so much packed in there that we don't have time to fully unpack. One thing I want to emphasize, typically when we're talking about this, like depriving one another or having authority in sex, it seems to be coming from like a male perspective, like the woman is not supposed to deny the advances of her husband and should just always be sexually available to her husband. But look, we are looking at a biblical mutual submission here of the body is that the husband also does not own his own body. The wife does not own her own body in the sense that both of you are mutually submitted to one another as one flesh. And not, it doesn't just say wives don't deprive your husbands. It says, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And so it also says we shouldn't be going long stretches in our marriages as long as there is physical capability to have sex um, without having sex, except for some exceptions. There needs to be a mutual agreement there. There needs to be a conversation there. Why? Because Satan can tempt you because of a lack of self-control, because we are sexual beings. There are sexual desires. These are good desires. It's good to be a sexual being. These sexual desires are supposed to be, supposed to be satisfied within the context of marriage between one man 
and one woman. So it is a gift that God has given us of pleasure. It is also a gift that God has given us to kind of uh, regulate and satisfy those sexual desires in a way that actually glorifies him and honors marriage. So it's actually for our protection that we are supposed to be having consistent sex when possible in marriage. Now, because of this mutual submission principle that we read, and because of what we read in other parts of the Bible, not just about marriage, like in Ephesians 5, but also just about loving one another, outdoing one another in showing honor and showing dignity and respect to other people, thinking of other people's interests above our own. Uh, there needs to be some understanding on the part of either the husband or the wife. If the wife just had a baby, she's in some kind of state where it's very clear that she's tired, that she's overworked, that she's overtouched, that she's overstimulated or whatever the circumstance is, the husband needs to be deferential and respectful to that and understanding and loving and cherishing of her. And there should be no pressure there to do something that she clearly does not want to do or is just in a state where that is not possible or it's not going to be mutually pleasurable. But the same goes from the wife to the husband. I mean, we are re we are reading again that this is a mutual thing going on here, that there needs to be some intuition, there needs to be some understanding, there needs to be some compassion. And so on both ends, there needs to be respect, there needs to be love, there needs to be understanding and understanding that satisfying each other's sexual desires within marriage is good and right and what is supposed to happen. There should be some willingness there, both in love for each other and obedience to the Lord. Um, and then also there needs to be some deference and some understanding when the time is just not right. So it's really all about mutual submission. It's all about mutual love and mutual respect. Neither party is just um, a vessel for pleasure. Neither party should ever be objectified. Neither party should ever feel like they are just being used to release a desire. It should always be about mutual respect and submission and love. And how good is God that he set up the institution of marriage to protect us from being objectified, to protect us from all of the different sexual mistakes and um, all of the sexual wrongs and heartbreak and heartache that comes from a secular sexual ethic that is the beauty of marriage and the beauty of God's definition of and gift of sex. Um, okay, another question. This is kind of random, not random that you asked, but random in that I don't typically talk about these things. But someone asked me, pregnancy with hypothyroidism, any tips? So this must be a long time like vigilant listener because I don't typically talk about these things like hypothyroidism, but I am hypothyroid. And I have been, I guess, for a while and I've, you know, been on medication for that. And thank the Lord, it's always been easily controlled and regulated. And I never had a problem with that. I've also never had a problem with that within pregnancy. Now, I don't have all of the expert answers for you. There are a lot of different accounts that you can follow, a lot of different resources. I I like functional medicine. Now, healing my thyroid is not a journey that I have gone down yet. It is something that I want to do to try to understand the way that we eat, the way that we live, the things that we consume and the things that are around us, how that affects our thyroid because our thyroid affects so much. I will just admit, I haven't really gone down that path fully yet because my hypothyroidism has been regulated so easily by medication, but I do really want to 
to get to root causes and make sure that I'm doing everything to promote thyroid health. You guys know that I'm not 100% crunchy, like not even close, maybe like 50% or less crunchy, holistic and all of that. I really like holistic functional medicine. I believe in understanding root causes and trying to change our lives to be as healthy as possible and to be as natural as possible. But I don't take all of those steps, just to be honest, in this stage of my life. And I also, as I think most holistic people would also say, like truly holistic people, I also, you know, believe in, um, the beauty and the miracle of some forms of modern medicine. And so right now, especially when I'm pregnant, because having your thyroid regulated is so important for conception and especially in that first trimester, I, I really haven't messed with any kind of um, healing mechanisms or any solutions. I haven't, you know, changed how I take my medicine and things like that, except for just keeping up with my levels and the dosage and all of that. So I think as far as conception, as far as pregnancy goes, don't take, I'm not trying to give medical advice or anything, but um, make sure that you, make sure that your levels are good. I think that's probably the most important thing for conception. It seems like there's a, a season, a time and a place for different kinds of healing. I, during pregnancy, I just didn't want to mess with something that already worked. And so in some stage of my life, I do want to take a more holistic and more functional approach to make sure that I'm actually healing my thyroid as much as I can. I don't know if that really answers your question, but hopefully it gives you some things to think about. All right, first sponsor of the day is Pre. Preborn. Preborn has a network of clinics across the country that's saving lives. They are offering free resources to moms and dads in need. They've got a pregnancy and um, they are being convinced by the abortion lobby that they need to abort that sweet child. But Preborn comes in and they offer a free sonogram. They offer free resources and baby items to help that mother choose life. They actually inform her of her real choices and they show her the baby inside side her womb. They let her hear that heartbeat. And that actually doubles the chance of that mother choosing life. So you can be a part of this. You can be a part of this life-saving work by donating to preborn. The cost of an ultrasound is $28. So if that's what you can donate, you can help save a life that way. But go ahead and give the best gift that you can. You can call uh, pound 250, dial pound 250, say the keyword baby. You can donate that way, or you can go to preborn.com slash Allie and donate there. That's preborn.com slash Allie. Is Jesus coming back in our lifetime? We do not know. We don't know the day or the hour that Jesus is coming back. Um, someone says so many people look to Trump as the savior for America. So this is not really a question, but I'm guessing you're wanting my thoughts. I do think that there are about, I don't know, 20 to 30 percent, maybe less of Republicans, not of Americans, but of Republicans who do kind of see Trump in this way. They might not use that language. Um, but they do see Trump as a specific, particular, like God-ordained, savior-like figure. And the only person that can turn America back around, the only person that can save Western civilization. I don't know where they get that, just based on, just, just 
based on what we see, based on what we've heard, I'm not saying that he wasn't a good president. I just don't see this kind of unique God-like aura about him. I, I just don't see those characteristics in him. I don't know really why people hoist him up to this place of like this demigod status. I don't totally understand that either. I do think it speaks to his unique capability to create a cult-like following. Not everyone can do that. But whether it's Ron DeSantis, whether it's Joe Biden, whether it's Donald Trump, remember politicians are people. People are finite. We are all born. We're all going to die. And most people are going to be forgotten. These people are public servants. We put them in place to serve our interests and our well-being. They are not our moral betters. They're certainly not our intellectual betters. They are people that, yes, serve an important role. Romans 13 says that God ordained or God um, instituted governments for our good to punish evil and reward good. So the government is very important. But in America, we have a government of the people, for the people, by the people. And we're supposed to have public servants in place, not these people that we place on a pedestal. So just remember that, I mean, Donald Trump is not a savior. No politician is going to be a savior. Donald Trump can do wrong. He's not some like special prophet. He's not. He's just a person, just like any other politician. And all of us should treat all politicians as such. Um, all right. Let's see. Next question. A natural deodorant recommendation. <laughs> um, I like Primally Pure. That's what I use. I really, really like it. It goes on very smoothly, and I think that it works. I guess my friends can tell me if that's true or not. Tips for talking to woke Christian relatives about their beliefs. Uh, in a way, I would say that like every episode that we do kind of offer some equipment and some education for that, obviously informing yourself on these topics. But I also think that reading Tactics by Greg Kokel is really helpful. And taking the inquisitive approach in all these conversations, remember that the goal of each conversation is not necessarily to win that one argument, but to make them think about why they believe what they believe. Honestly, most progressives that you talk to do not know why they believe what they believe. They couldn't give a reasoned reasonable answer for why they have the policy positions that they do, why they believe abortion is okay. Now, I'm not saying everyone, some do, or they might have more thoughtful positions on some things than others, but most things are just because it's ubiquitous. It's just because it's what we hear and see everywhere is the progressive position. And they'll say something like it's empathetic or it's compassionate or it's loving or it's inclusive or it's right. But those are all conclusions. Those are not arguments. They need to argue for why their positions are the compassionate or right or moral position. And so and just start asking them, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that abortion is okay? Why do you believe in whatever it is, um, illegal immigration? There are better questions than that. Like, do you, do you think that there should be any limit on how many people we allow into the country? Do you think there should be any stipulations, any restrictions at all? Do you think anyone who wants a better life from any part of the world, no matter what their background is, should be allowed to live in your neighborhood? Like, I think that those are kind of good questions to ask, of course, they might get on the defense, but, or just really trying to understand, even not pointed questions like that, but really trying to understand where they're coming from. Maybe if you come from a place of curiosity, they would be willing to read or listen to some of the things that have informed you. And you can say that you are also willing to do the same thing that kind of 
um, mutual understanding and respect can be really helpful. Um, yeah, I, I would start with asking questions that make them think about why they believe what they believe and always be ready and willing to give an answer uh, for what you believe as well. All right, this is for business owners. Let me tell you about NetSuite. If you are a business owner, you should know these three numbers. It's 36,025 one, 36,025 in one, 36,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators and one efficient system with one source of truth. You manage risk, you get reliable forecasts, you improve margins, everything you need all in one place. This can make your business more effective and more efficient. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Allie. That's netsuite.com slash Allie to get your own KPI checklist, netsuite.com slash Allie. Have I thought about running for president in 2024 or just in my life? Um, I know I don't see myself ever going into the political arena. To be perfectly honest, it seems really boring. So boring. Why would I give up what I do now, which is amazing and fun and has so much flexibility to do that? Like, why would I want to move to a state capital, which are always kind of blah? Why would I want to move to our nation's capital, which is blah? And you get paid like nothing. You never get to see your family. You don't get to do anything fun. You're constantly having to be, you're put in a place of constantly trying to compromise and compromise your values. And I'm thankful for the people that do it. (laughs) I really am, especially local politicians. Like we have to have politicians. So I'm thankful for the people who try to be salt and light in those very dark arenas. So Thank you for that. I personally don't want to do it. But if I had to run for one thing, if I had to be one thing, it would definitely be president. For sure. There's so many things that I would do. Ban pit bulls, require people to wear socks and shoes on airplanes, um, no talking on speakerphone in public, lots and lots of important things on my agenda that I would accomplish on day one. So, yes, if I had to do something in the political arena, of course, I would be president. Other than that, no thanks. Best part of motherhood. So many horror stories and people talk so negatively about it. Um, Yeah, that's what we talk about. Toxic mommy culture. I wrote about it in my book. Um, And it is the culture of complaining about your kids and your husband to get clicks online. And it's really ugly. It's really disgusting. And this whole transparency authenticity movement, which may be started with good intentions, has ended up just revealing people's selfish, uh, selfishness and their narcissism. And it's okay to be vulnerable about how difficult motherhood is because it is difficult. It requires a lot of sacrifice of your time, of your energy, of your body, all of those things. But to constantly make fun of your kids or complain about your kids or laugh at the expense of your kids publicly and to use their uh, experiences, their behavior, their emotions 
as um as content i think is really really disgusting actually and very immoral and we should also not be supporting that kind of content we shouldn't be clicking on it we shouldn't be laughing at it we shouldn't be sharing it and of course we shouldn't be doing it ourselves and so just understand that you're seeing a lot of stuff about the horrible parts of motherhood because it's popular to do that because people get clicks it goes viral because people think it's funny you talk about how terrible motherhood is now i'm not saying that all jokes about how hard motherhood is are are bad i'm not saying that we should never laugh like oh my gosh i haven't showered in three days i think that's fine that's very different than exploiting your child and their difficulties for clicks. And so I do want to just make that distinction there. Um, But motherhood, which you don't always see of motherhood, you either see like how horrible and awful it is, or that it is like the only thing that could ever fulfill a woman. And both things I think are wrong. You don't want to idolize your children and think that's the only thing that's going to fulfill you. You also don't want to idolize yourself and think that your kids are some trap or there's some like shackle on you preventing you from being fully liberated and happy. The truth is, is that kids are gifts. They're gifts of the Lord. And when you see them as gifts, things that you can be thankful for, something that you can steward well, then you can really enjoy them, both the difficulties that come with motherhood and the beauty that comes with motherhood. The most beautiful part of motherhood is just the love that you have for them. This incredible and just self-sacrificial love and the instinct that you have to protect them and to teach them and to help them and to steward them. The fact that you would do absolutely anything for them. You would endure any pain for them, any heartache for them. You would do any sacrifice for them if it means their well-being. I mean, even with your spouse, you don't fully feel like that. There is just a new depth of love and compassion and patience that is unlocked and unleashed when you become a mother. That doesn't mean that it's not tiring. That doesn't mean that they don't get on your nerves. That doesn't mean that there aren't some difficult parts of parenthood because of course there are, but just this all-encompassing, heartbreaking love that you feel for your child, the way that they can make you laugh more than anyone else, the way that they can bring you joy, um, the way that they can just make your heart sing and bring you to tears like in any given moment just because you see the little image of God reflected in them and someone that you helped create or adopted or whatever it is. Um, That is just, I mean, it's inexplicable really. You can't even really put words on it. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. And uh, that is why Glenn and the team have been such big supporters of them for so long. That's why I am proud to partner with them. They offer dependable nationwide coverage, giving you ability to access all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage that you've been accustomed to without funding the left. And so when you switch to Patriot Mobile, you are supporting things like free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, the Second Amendment, rather than supporting the causes that those major companies are supporting, the things that we are opposed to. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team makes switching really easy. You keep your number, keep your phone, or upgrade. Their team will help you find the best plan for your needs. PatriotMobile.com slash Allie or call 972-PATRIOT. You get free activation with code Allie. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Allie, code Allie. 
All right, coming out of that ad, you might notice if you're watching on YouTube, this looks a little different than the last question. That's because I did the first part of that Q&A a few months ago and I'm finishing up this Q&A now. So here you go. I'm answering some more of your questions. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, how to handle grandparents slash child relationships when the grandparents are quote unquote progressive. Ooh, that's hard. I would say that's really difficult because obviously you want them to have a relationship with your grandparents. There's a lot of wisdom that I think grandparents can give. And plus, they're your parents. I know that you love them. You want your kids to love them. However, it is your responsibility, your primary responsibility as a parent to disciple your children, to help them guard their hearts and their minds before they get to the point where they're able to guard their hearts and their minds. You are their filter. You are their protector. It is more important that you protect your kids' hearts and minds, that you instill them with what is true, than that they have a close connection with their grandparents. Um, that is not your primary responsibility. It is not your primary responsibility to please your parents. It's not. As difficult as that may be, your primary obligation is now to the stewardship of your children. So it would depend, I think, how aggressive and assertive your parents are in trying to instill them with progressive values. I mean, if every time you turn around, they're trying to tell your kids things that are not true, that are anti-biblical, that's going to have to be a very firm boundary, I think, that is set. It would mean if, if my parents were trying to actively disciple my kids in what is not good and right and true, again, is anti-biblical, that would mean you're not spending time with my kids without me. That means we can all be together in a group, but you are not going to be teaching my kids things that is going to be destructive to their lives, their minds, bodies, and souls. Um, it's just not, it's just not going to happen. And if that causes, uh, some kind of division, which I imagine that it would, that's unfortunate, but in the long run, is it worth it for your children? Absolutely. Now, if your parents are respectful, they should respect that boundary and they should say, they should understand what's going on. I don't know what kind of personality they have. Um, but some very strict boundaries are going to have to be set. I would not say here, spend the weekend with grandma and grandpa as they tell you ridiculous and harmful things about gender and God and identity and marriage. Nope, 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 nope. Um, there is, uh, the power of introduction that adults have over children. That means if you are the first person to introduce something to your children, introduce a concept to your children, you are going to be the one that they look to as an authority on that subject. That's why it's so important for parents to be having proactive conversations with our kids about God, about who they are, about their heart, their mind, their bodies, about marriage, love, all these things in an age-appropriate way. But we have to be, as far as it depends on us, the first people to talk to our kids about this. Now, as your kids get older and you've discipled them, you've placed that foundation, they can probably handle having those conversations with grandma and grandpa if they don't agree with them. But while they're young, I would say no. It's just 
that's too risky. You need some hard boundaries and a lot of supervision when it comes to time with them. Um, Let's see. Can you date someone with different theology, charismatic and reformed? Uh, Look, I'll be honest. I think it's difficult. Do I think it's impossible? No, but something's going to have to give. Um, It's not that I think that two people from two different theological camps aren't that one of them isn't saved. That's not necessarily true. You could have a Presbyterian and a Baptist. They're both going to see each other in heaven, but there are some distinct differences there uh, that are important. And really because of the implication that it has in how you're going to raise kids, like raising kids is already difficult. Two people with very similar backgrounds and identical theologies are already going to have disagreements when it comes to raising your kids. But then if you have really big theological differences, uh, then that's going to be difficult. That's going to be even more difficult. There's going to be even more division. I'm not saying that they cannot be overcome, but it's just going to make it more difficult. It would be much better to at least agree on the big things uh, before you get married. It would be much better to agree on what denomination you're in and what church you are going to go to before you get engaged and certainly before you get married. Because you are going to be one flesh. And if your husband is going to be loving and leading his wife as Christ loves and leads the church, then there needs to be some unity there. And so if you're dating how Christians should date, which is dating with the intention to marry, um, there needs to be an agreement on the major theological things before engagement. That's what I will say. That's what I'll say. Um, pedo baptism versus believers baptism, Presbyterian versus Baptist. That's a big thing. Like you need to, you need to know uh, where both of you stand on that and agree on that before you are betrothed. All right. Um, next question, favorite books of the Bible. I think I've answered this probably a few times before. Um, but I would say, my favorite books of the Bible are Ephesians and Genesis. Those that's that's what I how I typically answer that Ephesians because I think that it most clearly and beautifully lays out what the gospel is. Like I refer to Ephesians 2 so much if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that I have um been referring to Ephesians um that I refer to Ephesians all the time, Ephesians 2. And then Genesis, because I also go back to Genesis 1 through 3 all the time when I'm thinking through cultural and moral issues of our day. And um, I also just find it really entertaining. Like I think the stories in Genesis tell us so much about human nature and who God is and how he works. And there are just so many tidbits throughout Genesis that I find intriguing and humorous even. And so I would say Genesis and Ephesians tell us the the most about the gospel. 
Okay, last sponsor for the day is CrowdHealth. If you are tired of working with insurance companies uh, to get the healthcare coverage that you need, then you need to check out CrowdHealth. It's not health insurance. They give you the tools that you need to negotiate and crowdfund your medical bills. Health insurance is confusing, it's expensive, it's frustrating. Claim denials are becoming more and more common. One in five Obamacare claims were denied last year. That is unacceptable. So even if you have health insurance, it can feel like you don't unless you switch to CrowdHealth. They can make it really, really easy for you and simplify it and make it a lot more affordable for just $175 for an individual or $575 for a family of four or more. You get access to a community of people who are willing to help out in the event of an emergency. You get access to telemedicine visits, discounted prescriptions, so much more without doctors' networks getting in the way. Let CrowdHealth help you with your healthcare needs. Get started today for just $99 a month for your first three months by using code Allie at joincrowdhealth.com. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, code Allie. What was my biggest takeaway from interviewing Ken Ham? Um, Gosh, I go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't already, but probably how he spoke about Genesis 1 through 11 and how almost all of the questions that we have today in the so-called culture wars can, they really point back to Genesis 1 through 11 and what you think about creation. Really, I always say in my speeches, and I've said this before I talked to Ken, Ken Ham, and so we're just in agreement on this, but really they all go back to Genesis 1-1, that God created the heavens and the earth, the most controversial verse in the Bible, because all of our theology flows out of what you believe about that. Do you believe that God is the authority, the creator over all things? If you do, then he says what isn't, what isn't, what's right and what's wrong, what's true, what's false, what's male, what's female, all of the questions that we are told we don't really have the answers to today are found in Genesis 1-1, the authority of the Lord to say what is right, what's wrong, what's true, and what's false. Um, let's see. Do I ever struggle with guilt as a mom who works? That's a good question. Uh, I think all moms, whether you consider yourself a stay-at-home mom or a working mom, um, struggle with some kind of guilt, whether it's guilt over breastfeeding versus formula, home birth versus hospital birth, um, what kind of food that you're giving your kid, how much time you spend away, how much time you allow other people to hold them versus how much you hold them. There's a lot of reasons that unfortunately moms deal with a lot of a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. I like to say that I am in between uh, girl boss and sourdough starter. So I, my family is my number one priority. Uh, my kids are after my marriage um, are our number one priority in our home. And I am extremely, extremely grateful for how I am able to work, that I have so much flexibility and so much time spent at home. I get to come into the studio and I get to talk about things that I'm passionate about. And then I get to go home and I get to be there all day and all night. And 
Um, I feel called to do this podcast. I feel called to speak. I feel called to write. I feel equipped to do those things. And in this season of life, uh, we believe that this is part of what I'm supposed to do, but never at the expense of being a mom. And I think all moms are called to balance in some way. All moms are called to a variety of responsibilities. Now, I am not advocating for uh, leaving your home all day and delegating the responsibilities of parenthood and motherhood to to daycare or to a, a third party that doesn't care about your kids. I understand that is sometimes the necessary situation that some moms find themselves in, but I'm not saying that women should be chasing their career at all costs and should be outsourcing parenting to someone else. That's not what I'm advocating for. What I'm saying is that like, I know a lot of business owning women, a lot of entrepreneurial women, a lot of artistic women that are in one way or another, like uh, living out the gifts of artistry or communication or leadership that God has called them to and bringing their family along with them as they're doing that, integrating their motherhood with these other callings too. There are lots and lots of women who are doing that um, on a daily basis. And I am one of, I'm one of those women. So yeah, in between the like professional working woman and the sourdough starting woman, uh, that's where I am. Um, and that balance isn't always perfectly found just like it is in, just like it's not perfectly found for any stay at home mom either. I know like homeschool moms who are also like working, writing, doing interviews, like a million different things, Women are incredible at multitasking and doing a lot of callings at once. And uh, we learn, I think, through sanctification, the power of the Holy Spirit, how to best say yes and no to things at any given moment. And of course, I'm still learning that. Um, but yeah, by the grace of God, like we really do take it. My husband and I, we work together. We take it one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time one year at a time and we work together as a family and we make it work and there's a lot of joy and a lot of humility and a lot of learning and cooperation that takes place. And so, yeah, this is just one part, I think, of my calling that's always subservient to my calling of being a wife and mom. Um, so that's what I would say to that. And I'm like, I need to kind of like, I think do a whole episode on that and flesh those thoughts out a little bit more. Uh, to know what exactly that looks like. You guys know I, I'm going off again on this, but like I've gotten criticized in the past for like being a mom who also does a podcast and speaks. But like some of those people that criticize me, they don't criticize the women who are in ministry, who are also moms, who run nonprofit organizations, who are also moms, who are writers and professors, who are also moms. They have those people on their podcast who are journalists and also moms. Like I arguably work a lot less than a lot of those women um, and spend a lot less time online than some of the women who are all, always wagging their fingers towards people like me about us working. So yeah, it's an interesting world out there. We all have to um, do our best in prayer to follow the call that God has put on our lives. Um, okay, I think that's all we have time for today. 
And I hope that you have a great rest of your day and we'll be back here soon. 